MarTech, what, what kind of a weird phrase is that? There's some kind of drive in the business world that I really missed. Coaching gives me an opportunity to work with people in both worlds. We basically started off with a real simple idea of trying to engage kids and adults in physical activity. Our tech concierge was able to remote into Bill. And at the end of the visit, Bill told our tech concierge that it was his 105th birthday. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about entrepreneurism, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. You just heard some snippets from our guests this evening. Stay tuned for more Passage to Profit. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Tonight on our program, we're going to be answering the question, is marketing an art or a science? Just this evening is Scott Brinker, a marketing technologist who works at the intersection of marketing and technology. For our executive spotlight tonight, Lauren Logan, president of Orion Development Associates and has spent many years generating revenue for nonprofit organizations. And we also have Jim Dietz, who is the CEO of Gerhardt Law. CEOO? What? <laughs> the COO of Gerhardt Law. Uh, yes. So Jim has been helping us at Gerhardt Law quite a bit, and he's a tech guy. So we thought he and Scott would have a lot of fun talking tech back and forth, but dumbing it down enough for the rest of us. Right? <laughs> and then we have two wonderful presentations. I, I'm excited about this. Going with the tech theme, Liz Hamburg has can do tech. So she takes people that didn't grow up with tech and aren't real confident in how to use it and helps them. So that is like, you must have a million and a half clients. We could have used you before the show began. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have um, Paul Ross. And I interviewed Paul for Fireside. I was so impressed. He has happy wellness. It's, I just have to let him explain it, but it's a physical therapy system that's fun and kids like it. So you'll hey, hear more from him. I'm up for any kind of therapy. Let me tell you. So. <laughs> no, comment. no comment there at all. So let's do IP in the news. I'm so excited about this one. All right. Yeah. So guess what? The patent office issued 11 millionth patent in the first week of May. And Elizabeth, can you read the title of the patent for us? Yes, I can. Repositioning wires and methods for repositioning prosthetic heart valve devices within a heart chamber and related systems, devices, and methods by Jason S. Dietering and Saravana B. Kumar at 4C Medical Technologies. So word is on the street that the patent office did not just want any patent to be the 11th millionth. No, they had to have a special patent that was especially technical, right? And so instead of a, a new dog leash or something, <laughs> this is they, a conjecture. This is, they kind of online. manipulated things behind the scenes so they could get like a super a really high tech sounding patent. patent. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, after uh, hearing about this, of course, we found this article and who's the article by? It's by Dean Nykirk who is a professor at the University of Texas in Austin. I think he's an engineer or computer guy or something. Okay. And so what did Dean have to tell us? Well, you get to do the first one. So he pulled out these quotes predicting the future from important people from years ago. So you get to do the first one. And we thought because this is a very technically oriented show this week, we would bring some of these to our audience. So the first one, I bet you can almost guess who this was. Everything that can be invented has been invented, right? What year was that? That was in 1899. <laughs> and that was Charles H. Duell, who was at the time, the commissioner of patents at the US Patent and Trademark Office. So he was only about 10.5 million patents off in his <laughs> estimation, right? They only had 500,000 patents back in uh, 1899. So well, it's a little bit off there. Kenya will love this one. The wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? (laughs) David Sarnoff's associates in response to his urgings for investment in the radio in the 1920s. (laughs) (laughs) That could go for social media and everything else today, right? (laughs) And here's one from Bill Gates in 1981. 640,000 ought to be enough for anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So for our entrepreneurs who are listening or joining us, I particularly like this one. We don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. 
That was a quote from 1962 when Decca Recording Company rejected the Beatles. <laughs> so, so if somebody tells you your idea isn't going to work or it's terrible, well, maybe listen to them, maybe not. Maybe right? not, right. And then finally, uh, I have a couple here for the tech folks. Computers in the future may weigh no more than 1.5 tons. Three thousand that- <laughs> And that was written in Popular Science magazine in 1949. And then uh, here's one from Thomas Watson, who is the chairman of IBM. And he said this in 1943, I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. So anyway, so So be careful what you get quoted on. (laughs) So we need to go to a break. Passage to Profit, the inventor show on WOR 710, the voice of New York. We'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States. States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our co-host, Jim Dietz. And joining us this evening, Scott Brinker. Scott, welcome to the show. Tell us about MarTech and why it's good. Great. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, MarTech. What what kind of a weird phrase is that? Uh, the hybridization of marketing and technology, which, I mean, my goodness, like 20 years ago, like people would look at you cross-eyed like, wait, what? Marketing and technology? I thought these things were on like opposite ends of the career spectrum. Like the high school guidance counselor, like, oh, technology, <laughs> software, IT over here. Ah, marketing over there. Um, But obviously, yeah, I mean, the internet changed all of that, you know, and every business, you know, to whatever degree, uh, you know, now engaging with its customers and, you know, its partners through digital channels, all of a sudden, like, yeah, for the past couple decades, just like marketing and technology have gotten more and more entangled and entwined with each other. Uh, So that's the world that, uh, yeah, I've been studying here for, uh, oh, my goodness probably a couple decades at this point, uh, and it just keeps getting more interesting. So what is the drive behind trying to use technology in marketing? Isn't marketing just fancy slogans and snappy advertising? You know better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, actually, uh, the snappy slogans and fancy advertising are still valuable, too. It's like, actually, all the things that we were doing in marketing before the internet exploded they're still actually a valuable part of marketing. It's just we've sort of now layered on, you know, and really what we've layered on is the fact that our customers who used to either interact with us just purely in the physical world, um, or they might have been like, yeah, listening to the radio or, you know, watching something on TV or calling us on the phone center. Now, all of a sudden, they have all these ways through their web, uh, you know, apps on their mobile phone. Uh, increasingly, you know, things like our uh, Alexa, uh, you know, devices. I had to turn my Alexa off so it wouldn't like uh, uh, start, <laughs> start that dialogue with me. Right. So all these Please digital channels and like marketers, like our job is actually at its most basic level. It's like reaching our audience, finding them, engaging them, serving their needs. And so now that we're having to do that through all these digital channels, that's kind of what got us. We, we've sort of backed ourselves into all of a sudden waking up and realizing, wait a second, you know, I, I went into marketing and all of a sudden I'm spending like most of my day dealing with all this software and technology. Like what happened? I was doing research on the internet on marketing because that's not my, I didn't go to school for marketing, but I just fell into it. And it's it's fun, I have to say. And I found the MarTech stack and I thought, what the heck is a MarTech stack? And so I dug into it a little more and I really, I do think it's very ingenious, Scott, and you're the one that started this and you have the stacky awards and it's basically in my mind, a way 
to take all the tech that you're using for your marketing, put it in one place and figure out how it's working for you or if it's not working for you. And I think every company needs that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really fascinating over these past few years where there are just so many pieces of software and so many apps uh, that we're using, you know, in our personal lives for sure. But like at work, you know, if you're a marketer, you've got software you're using with your website, you might be doing some things to like manage your advertising on search engines. You probably have a CRM for like, you know, customer records. What are we using for email? I mean, the list goes on and all of a sudden, like you wake up and you realize, well, oh my goodness, I've got like a whole bunch of these different apps that I use for different things. You know, what's the app I'm using to produce my podcast? You know, what's the app I'm using to, you know, design, you know, a particular experience. Uh, and so as, as all these different technologies have sort of grown in the marketer's toolbox, the idea of these, uh, you know, illustrating these stacks and these stackages were twofold. First of all, just for your own sanity, being able to say, okay, what are all the different technologies that I am using for? Like, what, what does each one serve in my marketing mission? And how do I get them to work together? But then one of the other advantages of doing this as a, you know, illustration that stackies, as you mentioned, is I've encouraged people to, when they draw that illustration of what their stack is, not just use it for their own purposes, but if they're willing to actually share it with others, because this is so new for marketers having so many of these different technologies that we're really learning a lot from each other by seeing what are the different tools that different companies use to be able to deliver their digital marketing experience. So James, did you have a question? My question usually comes from the uh, fact that there is such a proliferation of apps and tools for marketing these days. You know, the biggest issue that I run into when I'm helping people that ask questions about it is what do, they ask me, what do I recommend that they do in order to reduce the confusion and the choice of what you're going to use so that it's effective and isn't something they just throw money at and hope it works. Do you have any recommendations for how people should approach that? Yeah, I mean, this is exactly the balance that people wrestle with is on one hand, simpler is better. It's like Occam's razor for your marketing technology. Like, you know, what you can do with the fewest possible tools, the better. But on the other side, recognizing that, yeah, the, the space of digital marketing is just continually evolving so rapidly that we do keep finding ourselves bringing in other specialist tools for new capabilities that maybe some of our older tools didn't have the support for. Now, this is part of what my mission is, uh, you know, at HubSpot uh, and sort of what I advocate for in the industry as large is I really feel the burden should be on the marketing technology companies to work harder at integrations, to really treat their products more as platforms, uh, to work with partners, uh, you know, to be able to do more of this integration between these different tools behind the scenes so that the marketer doesn't have to do it. I mean, I, I have this vision in my head and it's probably never going to be this simple, but like, you know, when you have an iPhone and you have like millions of apps in the app store, you know, you can go and you can pick whichever set of apps you prefer. And they just, they just install, they kind of all work together. They have the same interface, you know, and so marketing tech stacks aren't that simple. They probably aren't going to be that simple for a while, but I kind of feel like that's the aspiration, you know, that marketing technology companies should be reaching for. What do you think of the idea that, you know, right now the marketing technology is limited a bit because artificial intelligence and machine learning are yet to really be fully realized? What do you think is going to happen in the future now as AI and ML come around and become, as a computing stack, it's a little more capable? Can we get quantum computing, for example? I'm hoping that that's going to be like the 12th million <laughs> that we're talking about, the application of AI to we'll file it for you. Uh, quantum computing. <laughs> advertising. <laughs> so here's hoping. Um, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, my background actually was a, as a software engineer. And so when I was, you know, going to school, you know, several centuries ago, the big challenge for AI, it wasn't a limit to the algorithms. It was the fact that computing power uh, and the cost of that and the data, and the, it just wasn't there, you know, but now we like, you know, probably about five years or so ago, it was really over this past decade, we kind of hit that tipping point 
where all of a sudden, actually, we do have, you know, this expanse of data and we do have, you know, relatively cheap computing power in the cloud that all of a sudden is making a whole bunch of these like AI and machine learning algorithms feasible. Now, what's interesting is, you know, it turns out we're, we're still in the process of learning, okay, great, you know, just because we can run these algorithms, you know, there's kind of a level above that of like, okay, how does this actually map into our business objectives? Like, uh, one of the big challenges marketers, you know, deal with is, you know, not just getting data, because we now have access to just tons and tons of data, but how do we make sure that the data is well organized? How do we make sure that the data is quality, that we're maintaining accuracy, all of the regulations and compliance issues, you know, around like making sure that when we have data about individuals, you know, that we have permission to use that data. You know, these are now some of the challenges we're wrestling with. But I think the goal of wrestling with that is to get to a place where we're going to be able to leverage more and more of those AI algorithms to help us do smarter marketing. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. We've with been, Jim Dietz as our co-host. And with Jim Dietz as our co-host. Fascinating discussion with Scott Brinker, the MarTech guy from HubSpot. And we'll be back right after this commercial message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years Years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And if you missed that discussion, make sure you check out our podcast, which is available everywhere that podcasts are available. And also, on our YouTube channel. It was really a fascinating discussion about the marketing technology now and marketing technologies going into the future. And if you're an entrepreneur or business person, this is something that you really need to hear about. So uh, make sure you check it out. So on to our executive spotlight. I'd like to introduce Lauren Logan from Orion Development Associates. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Tell us what you do. So great being with you all. I'm an executive business coach. And I also work with not-for-profits to help them raise millions of dollars. I came to executive coaching. It's actually my third career and spent a couple of decades in the apparel business, first on the buying side, then on the selling side. And this was back in the day when the apparel business was still, yes, there were the big, big, big players, but it was still very entrepreneurial. It was the kind of thing where even though I represented big lines, I could take a new line that I had just agreed to represent over to my Macy's buyer and he or she would say, okay, I'll give you an order. It was that kind of thing. They had discretionary income and unlike some of the rigidity that it takes place when businesses finally scale to the size they need to be. But uh, then my church asked me to chair a phase of its capital campaign and I'm reporting on us approaching the Gearhearts, and they're thinking about giving a gift of $5,000, but they wanted to go towards this. And, and so we're strategizing how we can elicit that gift. And I'm going back to Speedo. I was representing Speedo at the time and thinking, this is very similar to what I do at Speedo. I forecast, I look ahead, I strategize. And so um, some miracles later, our consultant got a job consulting a much larger church. They needed an in-house person. He asked me if I would like him to throw my name in the hat. I said yes. And That's I got an in-house position as a director of development for a large church in Manhattan and was uh, part of a team that raised many millions of dollars. And then got to raise uh, millions for Columbia University Medical Center and a large social services agency. So it was at that point 
when I was thinking, where, where will I go to fundraise that I came across the opportunity to coach? And those of you here today, and there are a lot of you who are listening in on this call are, who are in the business world know, and you may know something about the not-for-profit world, know there's something about the pace about the way decisions are being made. There's some kind of drive in the business world that I really missed. And yet my love, my base love is not for profits. So coaching gives me an opportunity to work with people in both worlds. I would imagine that it's a very different kind of approach in the nonprofit world as it is in the profit world. Different factors are in play. It was interesting. The consultant that advised me that, yes, this would be an easy transition of my sales and marketing skills had, I think, spent most of his career in the not-for-profit world. I would say I had a comeuppance in realizing that taking a million-dollar proposal to your largest customer and them approving it out of their seasonal open-to-buy is quite a bit different than asking an individual or a couple for a seven-figure gift that is coming right out of their livelihood and their income and may affect their future lifestyle. So yes, it's sales, but it's really very different. Uh, Lauren, how can people get in touch with you and learn about your coaching programs and take advantage of your vast knowledge? My website, Orion like the constellation, every grandmother's favorite constellation, developmentassociates.com, or give me a call at 917-689-9075. Before we leave, I'd like to also point out that Lauren has, in the executive spotlight tradition, made a $100 charitable donation to the Central PA Food Bank. So thank you very much for doing that. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. Scott Brinker is our guest of honor this evening, along with Jim Beats. We'll be back right after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And if you missed any of it, it's on our podcast, Passage to Profit Show, on all the major podcast sites and our YouTube channel. And... Coming up next, we have Kenya Gibson, our iHeart Media Maven, who's going to be talking about her power move. Kenya, what's in store for us this evening? So we're going to be talking about Diddy today and his recent move in partnership with Salesforce to launch the first digital marketplace for multicultural businesses. So basically, it's going to be a platform that's going to invite all different kinds of businesses to come do business with multicultural entrepreneurs in this specific space. And it's just very innovative and it's going to be designed and built by Dealite Digital and they're going to create this experience and it's going to be online for everybody to take advantage of. So super exciting. So did Puff Daddy approach them or did they approach him? For this? You know, it doesn't say, it doesn't say, I think he just had, you know, a concept or an initiative. He's, he's very big um, in the black business community and they probably saw it as an opportunity to partner with somebody who's very influential like him and diversify their platform. So I'm not sure, but you know, I'm glad that the partnership is happening and that all different businesses are going to be able to take advantage of it. Yeah. I, I really think it's great how entertainers are stepping forward and trying to expand the reach of the black community and, you know, really do something more than talk, but provide resources for people and entrepreneurs to really get involved and start working on their own projects. I think that's a super great move. And I'm glad to see that trend. 
Up next is Elizabeth Gerhardt, who is going to be talking about what else? Fireside Directory. Elizabeth, take yes. it away. So, for those of you who haven't heard about this, Fireside Directory is a video directory of small businesses. And it's a YouTube channel and a website. And Jim has agreed to help me with it now. And he, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> so, so You've announced it publicly, I see. <laughs> no backing out now, Jim. And so he's helping me with my website. But it's basically, it, it's a new concept, but it's a way for business owners to convey as much information as possible in shorter time as possible in video format to potential clients. And I have a whole lot of back-end stuff with it that I can't talk about because we're going to write some patent applications on it. But basically, small business video directory. So I, I've been interviewing business owners for it. I interviewed Lauren. I interviewed Paul. And I interviewed Kenya, but we haven't quite got yours up there yet, but we will. You know, I enjoy doing the interviews and also bring out a lot about the business that you might not think of to say on your own. I'm redoing the website. I'm going to be highlighting people in a different way, but I've been doing it for the last year. COVID actually helped because everybody got comfortable doing video on Zoom. And I've been having to stumble over trying to get people to do videos before. Now I've got a bunch of content. So now I'm kind of going into phase two. Light your business on fire with Fireside Director. <laughs> no, Kenya came up with the tagline, Igniting Connections. Oh, that, okay. Yeah, Kenya gave me the tagline. That's even and the better. Logo. So yeah. she is a marketing genius. All <laughs> right. Is. Well, so, let's go on so to our first presenter. Yes. So Liz Hamburg can do tech. If you can't do tech at all, then you need to talk to Liz to figure out how you can do tech. That's right. We make it happen. No more can don'ts, only can do's. <laughs> it's so nice to be here with all of you. I'm back on WOR. As I, I mentioned earlier to some of you, I actually um, had a, a show on small business and entrepreneurs on OR for about 10 years with my mom, Joan Hamburg, who was on WOR for almost 40 years. So it feels like we're back at home. So very, very nice to be back here even virtually today. And very exciting to see what you guys have built. There's just such a, a huge need for information about entrepreneurs and small businesses. So really exciting to see what you're doing. For me, I've been an entrepreneur my whole career over 25 years. Um, but I launched Kandu Tech a couple of years ago, just right before the pandemic hit, actually. And we are doing tech support and training specifically designed for older adults. Um, and I was actually inspired to start Can Do Tech by my dad. He literally lived next door to a Best Buy, and he was always an early tech adopter. And he was the first guy in line always to get the latest gadget, whether it was Alexa or an Apple Watch. And he never knew how any of it worked. So he had, you know, Geek Squad on, on speed dial always, or was the first guy in line at the, at the Apple Genius Bar. And as he got older, he actually passed away last year at, at almost 90, but he had macular degeneration. He was hard of hearing. He had, uh, you know, some mobility issues in the end, some cognitive issues. And so Geek Squad and Apple Genius Bar just weren't cutting it for him anymore. And it culminated in an audio voicemail message, which is still on my website, where he said, Alexia, and he called her Alexia, has gone out of town. And he said, I tried her five times and I don't know where to find her. And what do I do? Call me back. And <laughs> so he was kind of joking, but he wasn't really a jokey kind of guy. And so, you know, he really was frustrated and he didn't know who to call. And it was such a simple thing. Of course, the minute he called her Alexa, she came right back into town. But he didn't know who to call or, or who to reach out to. And that's when the light bulb went off for me to say, you know what, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be an affordable, accessible, patient, empathetic service that is specifically addressing the needs of older adults. That's great. So what do you do to help with that? We were doing in-person visits in the New York tri-state area. And of course, when COVID hit, we shut down very quickly and we moved to remote only. And I'm really happy to say that our remote work is working incredibly well. So what we do is we start off with a phone call and then we get onto a shared screen. So we're able to see someone's screen, whether that's on a smartphone or a tablet or a computer laptop or with video, we can actually look at a, a printer or a modem or, or Wi-Fi situation. And we do everything from helping to install something new to fix what's not working. And really importantly, to teach people how to use their, their technology and how to get comfortable with it. So we have been doing a lot of learning how to Zoom. We're doing a lot of just the basics of how do I use a tablet? How do I use email? How do I take pictures with my phone? You know, so we're seeing that everyone is either 
falling into the, yes, I feel really comfortable with my technology, but I just, you know, I'm having a problem with my password or I've got to get something set up. But most of our clients are really either new to technology or they maybe had email and had a smartphone, but they really have never used it for things that they're using it for today. So for telemedicine visits, for again, communicating with family and friends. Our biggest success story is Bill. Bill was in a senior living facility and he was stuck there at the beginning of COVID. His family couldn't get in to see him, of course. And his daughter called us and said he had to get photos to his doctor. He had some kind of issue that he needed to share with the doctor. And of course, he couldn't get to the doctors. And so our tech concierge was able to remote into Bill, share a screen with him, teach him how to take photos, email them to his doctor, And at the end of the visit, Bill told our tech concierge that it was his 105th birthday. (laughs) So we we love Bill. We say, Bill can do it. Anyone can do it. And we've been really inspired by the stories that we've been hearing of people who are all over the country. I know you're going to talk to Paul and he's got some projects going in rural areas. We've been doing a lot of work with senior centers that have been shut down with people that are really heartbreaking in rural communities where they maybe they see once a week someone who comes to drop off food and otherwise they're totally isolated. And we've been able to set up tablets with them in a very simple way. So there's just a few buttons that they can push, put cellular data on them because again, many of them don't even have Wi-Fi and then teach them through a, a shared screen how to use those tablets. And they're able to really open up a window to the world, which has been quite exciting. That's really well, great. Well, that's vital because all during COVID, we've all said we hate technology, but oh my gosh, what if we didn't have it right now, right? Yeah, and it's been really a breakthrough, you know, because we have been looking at the data. Um, there was a few research study that came out a few years ago saying 75% of older adults are afraid of and frustrated by their technology and very often need someone to help them set it up and show them how to use it. And we've literally seen people with their hands shaking, you know, saying, oh, my God, my heart is beating. It's like a visceral reaction to being afraid of technology. And so, you know, our name can do really, I think, sort of says it all. You know, it's about empowering people to feel like they can use it. And so we've seen over the last year people saying literally, I can't do it. I don't understand it. I'm stupid. You know, and these are lawyers, former doctors, you know, CEOs, professionals who are so afraid of their technology that they sort of throw up their hands and say, I can't do it. And then when they get small little wins, you know, whether that's being able to, you know, join a, see a granddaughter's graduation on zoom or be able to, again, access the doctor's um, a doctor's visit or something, they build up that confidence and then they get so excited. We had one woman email us recently to say she was in her 70s, she learned how to do something new. And then she just taught her 99 year old mom how to do it too. (laughs) That's amazing. I, you know, my parents bought a computer and back when AOL was like uh, all the rage and they had the dial up modem, you know, and they were bound and determined to uh, learn how to use email, but unfortunately they never did because it was- Well, your mother did, but your dad didn't like it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I, 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 so I would get like an email every six months from my mom. It took her that yeah. long to actually learn how to do it. But that being said, you know, when it comes to new platforms like Instagram, Twitter, those things, I feel much less comfortable using that technology because it's not something I really grew up with. On the other hand, I feel fine wandering around a PC or a Mac. It's kind of what you're used to. But well, I think I, what you're doing is a wonderful I'd thing. I'd really like to hear Jim's take on this. <laughs> what do you think? Well, Liz, the only thing I can say is in my dealings, and I, I'm going to ask you the question, when you talk to the people that need help, and, and elderly people are a particular one, that they're afraid of technology. That's a true statement. But the fact of the matter is they're afraid of it because they don't understand it. The language of technology is foreign to them. They don't want to learn it. So how do you explain it to them in real everyday language? That's a great question. So we have a team of amazing tech concierges, as we call them, and they all are trained to do tech support. But we also have layered on top of that training specifically on how to address the needs of this population. So we're working with gerontologists, with audiologists, with vision impairment specialists, with cognitive enrichment specialists. And so we are training our team. One of the first things they ask is, are you hearing impaired? Do you wear hearing aids? Can we connect your hearing aids to a device? Do you have any vision issues? Well, then let's increase the font size. 
if you have macular degeneration, did you know that you're better off with a dark screen and white font? So simple things like that. And then imagine if I said to you, open up a browser window and you had absolutely no idea what a browser browser is. So we say, you see that little round blue and white thing on the bottom of your screen that looks like a compass? Click on that. So there's really simple ways that we can use to explain things in, in very, very simple language. So Scott, did you have a question or a comment? Wow, I just think this is absolutely uh, brilliant. Yeah, I was just uh, actually talking my mom through a tech support issue remotely with uh, her iPad uh, over the weekend. So I, it, well, it resonates very tech. deep. Like I could use the training. <laughs> well, you can use it and, and you can sign your mom up. We are, we are definitely working directly with consumers and we're at CanDo, that's 2-O-C-A-N-D-O-O, tech.com. But we're also working with organizations. So working a lot with senior living facilities, we're doing a lot of work again around with healthcare providers, whether that's remote patient monitoring, getting onto telemedicine visits, a lot of different things that technology is ever present. You're going to teach us how to live like the Jetsons. (laughs) We are becoming the Jetsons. Look at these Zoom calls. I can stumble my way through tech now, but 20 years from now. (laughs) (laughs) We may not care 20 years from now. Anyway, it's been great having you on, Liz. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much. And Scott, if you want to get your mom a visit, it's just CanDoTech, C-A-N-D-O-O-T-E-C-H, CanDoTech.com, six four six seven five eight six six oh six. So give us a call. Great. Excellent. So you're listening to Passage to Profit, the Inventor Show with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our co-host, Jim Dietz, and our special guest, Scott Brinker from HubSpot and MarTech. And we'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Back to something that might be a little more comfortable for some of us, but maybe not others. <laughs> we're, <laughs> Paul, we're talking Paul about Ross, therapy today, right? Yes, has happy wellness, well, physical therapy. So oh, Paul, okay. Paul has happy wellness, but I, I interviewed Paul for Fireside. I was just so taken aback by how innovative what he's doing is. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm Paul. I'm CEO of Happy Wellness. And we basically started off with a real simple idea of trying to engage kids and adults in physical activity. And so we started our company about two years ago, pre-pandemic, and we developed basically a system that's fun and instructional. You could see the basis of our system behind me, which are these exercise mats that have different visual markings on them to basically help instruct and understand physical movement concepts. And we focus mostly on yoga. So that is our main goal. Uh, We started the company, like I said, about two years ago, we started working mostly with the yoga therapy community, but then we quickly pivoted to working with not only physical therapists, but then also occupational therapists. I'm not a therapist myself, but that's the community that we started to serve. And actually within that market or that community, we we found that the pediatric occupational therapy community was really the market that latched on to what we were doing because we were creating this fun idea of rolling out an exercise mat with all these different markings on it. And you could see the one here on my left side, it has shapes of animals and, and pictures and things that were engaging for the kids. And so just getting them to stand on the mat was something that the occupational pediatric community was really excited about because sometimes that's the biggest issue that they have is getting the kids to be focused and engaged. 
And then when uh, the pandemic hit, we were about ready to do our big launch uh, right before at a big conference for the occupational therapy community. And that got canceled. So we started to actually find, uh, talking about technology and the simplicity of it, we found that telehealth was something that was being utilized a little bit with our, uh, our process, basically. If you have the same template on both ends of the camera for a telehealth visit, it helps understand where the patient is in space. And so we actually have measurements on the edge of the mat. So if you look at, say, something behind Elizabeth, I might be able to say, well, raise your right hand up this high, and I could see the picture there. But if you move just a little bit to the right and do the same thing as a therapist, your objective measurement isn't going to be the same from visit to visit. But with ours, the mat actually has those measurements on it. So we can have the therapist understand where those patients are in space. And then over time, we actually started to develop um, working with some schools because we found that teachers and um, their students, they wanted to engage in activities, physical activities, and especially again with with the pandemic, you know, a lot of the schools were doing things virtually. So anything they could do to get the kids involved was really important. So, and that's where we are today. Well, one thing that's really cool too, that you and I talked about is you can, like you have one that has a foot on it behind you. So like where you would put your foot on that foot, but you can actually take that foot and move it. Right. Yeah. So actually, if you see here, the white foot is actually a peel and stick. So as an instructor, if I was instructing all of you how to do yoga and I could see where you are in space and instead of saying something complicated, like, no, step your right foot forward another six inches, I can actually peel that, put that on the mat that you're using so that you have this visual idea of where, oh, I look down at my mat and it's by the, if you're a kid, it might be by the, the solid triangle, you know, then they can look and that's where we're trying to instruct them to move. So Paul, just so I understand, the markings have significance in terms of where people are putting their hands or their legs or their feet. So you might have a program where you put your feet and your hands on the bears, and then you might have another move where you put them on the tigers or put on a tiger and a bear or something like that. Is that the basic idea? Yes, maybe a little bit about our origin. So I actually also do research that Liz was referencing. I do research with yoga and fall prevention in rural older adults. And we've been looking at that for many years now and utilizing yoga as that process of, of helping prevent falls. And we were approached by the deaf and hard of hearing community to do a program for them on balance and fall prevention. And while they were all brand new to yoga, I was also not, um, I didn't sign. And so even though we had interpreters, there were still communication challenges. Simple things like, you know, how to stand in a certain yoga pose was a little complicated. And so what I wound up doing was I, I printed out pictures of feet that I found on the internet and cut them out, put them on the floor. And we played basically yoga twister, right? Put your right foot here, put your left foot there. And then I thought, well, could we bring that to a template on an exercise mat? And so, yes, so we've developed actually for kids, we've developed animations that show each individual pose, right? And each shows using the mat and specific movements on that. So Lauren, did you have a question or comment? Well, I love the idea of bringing the visual to things that are connecting inside of us and bringing the physical with the visual. The way you're connecting the head and the heart and the full body is, I think, a beautiful, far-ranging thing. You know, we found that with the research, one of the biggest challenges for people to actually engage in physical activities, they just don't know what to do. And so very often people will just not do it or they might do it once and then give up. And so simple things like um, when you're a kid or an old, older adult, when the instructor or the therapist is saying, well, raise your right hand and then raise your left foot, right? It becomes complicated. And so we solved that where there's a right side of the mat, there's a left side of the mat. We know where that is in space. And so after using the technology, really what, what it is, is the, the idea of presenting a way to do something through visual markings, then you become more engaged, right? And we found one example, therapists know that a home exercise practice is really important, but 50% plus go home 
and they don't do any of their physical activities or physical exercise, right? <laughs> the number one reason that you don't do it is because you're usually given like a piece of paper that has these little stick figures on it and you're going, well, I thought they said, and it, you know, especially if you're in therapy, you're thinking, well, could I hurt myself more? And so you're not doing things the way that the therapists want. And we're finding that this is going to help with that home exercise adherence. So. It's all set up for virtual, which is awesome. Yeah. So Kenya, what about you? What do you think? Uh, well, we were chatting earlier. I, I love just the design of the, the mat and how it like had adds a cognitive element to it. Like, so it's helping with the placement of the feet because I think a lot of times with any exercise, it's hard to kind of follow the instructions and the cues, like you were saying earlier. So I'd be curious to know with some of the students you've been using it with, or people who have been practicing with the mat, have you seen any significant changes in terms of an increase of anything physically or cognitively? Like, do you have any research or anything like that, that you've seen that people have experienced an enhancement in their physical abilities or even mentally for that matter? Actually, we have a researcher working with daycares currently that is doing a virtual element with our mat. And so she's utilizing the mats to see if she can engage preschoolers, uh, pre-K kids with physical activities. And her early data is just, again, that initial engagement, right? They might not be doing the things as a four or five-year-old is prone to not do everything that the teacher or the, the instructor wants them to do, but they're at least in getting engaged. And that's important. And we see that on the other end of the spectrum too, like Liz was talking with the older adult rural, especially the rural community, is getting individuals into a platform, even if it's virtual, to connect and have that community aspect is really important. And so that is what we're trying to do in our research is not only see if we can prevent falls, but also can we increase activities of daily living, but also can we get people to connect and we know that if people are more engaged and maybe once they feel comfortable outside of this virtual element to actually get back together again, just mm -hmm. being able to get back together and connect is getting people out of the house, getting them physically active, getting them moving, and that's going to help them with fall prevention and anything. Oh, it's interesting what you're talking about. And I, I have a daughter that's a principal at an elementary school, for example. And what you're talking about here in the educational environment the virtual end of that academically is taking off and doing well, but the physical activity seems to lag behind. What would you suggest is a good way to do that better? That's what we're developing. You know, the school system in general is very limited by the exposure of what they can give kids to physical activities, right? And so now you put that in a virtual platform, it becomes even harder because you have the kids doing all different things. So we're developing for the school systems, we're developing actually specific programs. One of the things we hear all the time is, is that, okay, the kids just took a test and they're all wrapped up. Well, we want them to, to kind of calm down a little bit, or the kids need to take a test and they're maybe too calm. We want to get them engaged, right? So we're playing with those elements. And so we're developing programs that can be done not only in the physical space, but then also a virtual space where they're five minute short little clips utilizing our mat. So again, the idea is everybody has the same system. And so then they can play in that physical environment on the mats. We do things like beanbag tossing, right? So for kids that might not physically be able to move, they might have balance challenges, or they might be in a wheelchair, right? We can still play with the idea of of engagement and move and tossing a beanbag on the elephant or whatever it might be. So we're trying to incorporate all of those elements of getting kids physically active because that is that is key. I mean, and I'm not saying anything against the the reason why we have schools to educate children, but the physical aspect of that, that like Lauren was saying, the mind-body connection is really important. Absolutely. Where can people buy one of these or find you? So our website is happyw.co. So H-A-P-P-Y-W.co. Or you can write me at paulm at happyw.co. 
can you make a mat with like intellectual property symbols on it, like patents, <laughs> trademarks, copyrights, that kind of stuff? No, we, you know, we deal with that all the time, the intellectual property. <laughs> so we co-brand. If people want specific mats, that's right. We do that for you. Put your hand on the trademark <laughs> registration symbol. And, and I, I think that it could be a hit. You do? Really? <laughs> anyway, what, what are people listening to now? What are people listening to? They're listening to Passage to Profit, the Inventor oh, Show. You got it. How about that? On WOR 710. And we have Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our co-host. Jim Dietz and our special guest Scott Brinker and we will be right back don't go away if you missed any of it our podcast will be out tomorrow and it'll be on our YouTube channel too there's never been a better time to start your own business the opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm at Gearheart Law we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common they start with a solid foundation first Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs ideas and brands using patent trademark and copyright protection so if you have a new consumer product a new software application that you're planning to build or sell or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. It was an amazing show with like really smart people. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest was Scott Brinker. And you can find him at chiefmartech.com. Then we had our executive spotlight, Lauren Logan, Orion Development Associates.com. We had Liz Hamburg with CanDoTech.com. And Paul Ross with happyw.co. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Before we go, some final words of wisdom for our audience. Uh, Scott, do you have any parting thoughts? Wow. Well, you know, I, uh, I, I was taking inspiration from CanDo in particular here that uh, <laughs> I think when people are coming to marketing technology, it sometimes can seem a bit overwhelming. Stick to the basics. Start with something <laughs> simple. Focus on your customer. You can do it, too. And maybe you can work a MarTech stack into CanDo's uh, program there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're a user, as I said to Scott, we're a HubSpot user and very, very excited about using our CRM, both for marketing to our prospects, as well as keeping our, our customer information. So mm-hmm. it's been uh, really, really helpful. And they have amazing programs for startups. So and a shout out to them. Great. Lauren, what are your thoughts? Thinking so much, um, not just from Scott's wonderful presentation and teaching us about MarTech and stacking and all kinds of things, but from what we heard from Liz at CanDo and Paul at Happy Wellness, the intersection of all of this artificial intelligence begins to come quite close to how we can use our emotional intelligence to harness the power. That's really what it's all about. That's very profound. Thank you for sharing that. In Kenya? Lauren, I can't top that. What I will say, it's been a, an amazing show. It's always a, an amazing conversation when you have a lot of creative people to share their thoughts and their intellect. And I always appreciate being a part of it. So thank you. Thank you, Kenya. And I just want to put in a plug here for iHeart Digital Services. They do a great job. And the whole iHeart team has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for digital marketing, search engine optimization, iHeart has an incredible program. Or creativity. And if you want radio time or whatever, contact Kenya, Kenya Gibson with the P at iHeartMedia.com. We couldn't do this without our team at iHeart producer, Noah Fleischman, our program coordinator, Alicia Morrissey, our video editor, Angela Wolf, and the whole iHeart team. So you are listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York.